word for 2018 is Jesus. I want you to know that was very much on purpose. My goal in this series is to get all of our eyes back where they belong. Because how many know we always have to continually bring our eyes back? Actually, he brings our eyes back to him. He's the glory and lifter of our head, right? So the purpose of this series was to keep us focused where our eyes need to be. They're not on Brent and Tana, thank God. They're not on Sean and Deanna. They're not on any particular leader. Our eyes are on Jesus. He is the word of the Lord for 2018. And so we're leaning into him this morning. I am, I'm encouraged, I'm excited to continue to share with you guys the next of the seven I am statements that Jesus made in the book of John. Our last I am statement we actually studied together on, on Easter Sunday when we talked about how Jesus said in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life, right? So Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life in the context of raising Lazarus from the dead. He doesn't just bring people to life, he is life. I mean, no, Jesus doesn't just heal people, he is healing. He doesn't just give grace. He is grace. He personifies those things. That's why we receive them, not just because he's in the mood to hand those things out. It's his nature. He's the resurrection and the life. When he says, I am, he's not just saying, I want to do these things for you. Absolutely, he's saying that, but he's saying, I want to be this in your life because this is who I am. So since John chapter 11, We've had the triumphal entry, we've had the Last Supper, and actually in the book of John, the Last Supper goes all the way from chapter 13 to chapter 17. That whole conversation all happens at the Last Supper. So when you're reading through next time the book of John, when you're reading through John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, hear that in one setting. Jesus is having a long conversation. I mean, these are the last words he's about to go to the cross so it is you know Jesus isn't just he's not like me he's not just letting fly out of his mouth whatever comes out and the next thing you know you're eating a funeral right <laughs> Jesus is actually very much purposeful he's he's intentional about what he's sharing and we're down to those last days now we're down to those last moments when Jesus is speaking and sharing with his disciples I want you to, to go to John chapter 14 understanding the context that we're at the Last Supper, he's washed his disciples' feet, including Judas, by the way. Hey, you know, Judas was under Satan's influence the moment Jesus washed his feet. Isn't that powerful? Jesus didn't scowl or frown or get angry at him. Here is <laughs> Satan personified in Judas, and Jesus kneels down and washes his feet. He washes all his disciples' feet, including Peter, who didn't want him to wash his feet, right? Peter's always putting up some kind of, he's directing Jesus constantly, right? They have the Last Supper together. They share the bread and the cup, just like we did for communion. Now he's, he's speaking to them, he's sharing to them, he's talked to them about betrayal, that there are those that are going to betray him. He's talked about Peter and how Peter's going to deny him. Now, they've heard someone's going to betray them, in fact, they've heard many of them will turn their backs on him. They have heard about Peter's, Peter has specifically heard about his own denial. You're going to deny me, you're going to betray me. So how many of you think if you've just heard that from the one you've been following and the one you believed is going to establish the kingdom and he just says to you, I want you to know there's someone here that's going to betray me. 
you guys are going to turn your back on me. Peter, you're going to deny me. That's the way this thing is going to go down. How many think you tend to feel like, man, I'm, I'm not feeling so good about your sermon today, Jesus? Would you feel that way? I wouldn't be alone, right? I'm not really feeling so, I'm not feeling this, Jesus. You know, I thought we'd come together and you'd give us a good pep talk and we'd go out and give them heaven, right? But you're talking about betrayal and denial and you're exposing our inner motives and I don't feel so good right now. So John 14 comes on the back of that discussion. John chapter 14, verse one. Do not let your heart be troubled. That's why he says that, because the context is these guys are starting to feel this. They don't get it. They don't understand when he starts talking about crucifixion. They're not understanding that. Maybe he's speaking in a parable. What's he talking about? But it doesn't feel like feel-good talk. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many, and the actual translation should be either dwelling places or rooms. Now, for years, you know, the old King James talks about mansions, and so the, the thought was, John chapter 14, is Jesus is just letting us know, someday you're going to go to heaven, and in heaven, everybody gets a mansion. Now, I'm not saying that isn't going to happen. There have been people who have said that they've died and come back, and, and that they saw their mansion while they are in heaven. And, and I just think Jesus is good enough that in, in our misunderstanding of this passage, he's like, mansions? Okay, sounds like a good idea. Let's do it. I love you that much. But that's not what he meant in this passage. He wasn't talking about, don't be sad in this gloomy world because someday you're going to die and get to live in a mansion even though you live in a shack right now. That's not what this passage is about, all right? He's talking about going to the cross right now their hearts are troubled by everything that's been spoken. And he is not just wanting to talk to them about going to heaven. He wants to talk to them about his papa. That's what John 14 is about. John 14 is about Jesus saying, I am actually about to make a connection that is going to blow your mind. He's prophesying their head off right now. All right. So he says, in my father's house are many dwelling places there's a place for you if it were not so i would have told you for i go to prepare a place for you where in papa's house if i go and prepare a place for you i will come again and receive you to myself this passage we have sometimes thought i thought growing up it was about his second coming they don't know anything about a second coming they don't know he's even going they don't get that part yet. Jesus isn't prophesying about a second coming. I believe he's coming back again. Absolutely. I could not be four square if I did not believe in the fourth square, all right? Jesus is our soon coming king. I would have to be three square, all right? Jesus is our soon coming king. All I'm saying is that's not what this is about. When he says I'm going and I'm coming, he's talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. I am going and then I'm coming again. I'm going to prepare a place for you by going to the cross, by taking you with me to the cross and the old you dying and the new you rising with me. I'm going to carry you with me then to a place that's prepared for you. I will come again and receive you. What? Not just to heaven. He doesn't just say, I'll receive you and take you to heaven someday. That's awesome. I'm glad I'm going to heaven. How about you guys? That's really good news. 
But that is like the lowest level. That's a great level and it's, I'm excited about it, but that's the lowest level of revelation that Jesus would want us to have about this. His idea wasn't just to get us into a mansion somewhere where we could have someone wait on us all day and eat pigs in a blanket because you eat pigs in a blanket when you're Jewish? I don't think so. Okay, I need a better metaphor for second service, right? It's not just so we can go get in a mansion and feel good and relax and go fishing every day and, and watch heaven flicks or whatever you get to do when you're in heaven, right? He says, I want you to know what I'm actually doing is I'm going and I'm preparing a place for you and then I'm going to come back and receive you to what? Myself. David said, whom have I in heaven but you? He said, I receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas says what we would have said if we had the guts. Lord, uh, we don't even know where you're going. So uh, how do we know the way? And then Jesus makes the, the, the sixth I am statement in our study. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to what? Oh, that's the big picture right there. That's the best news of all. Not just that we're going to go to heaven someday. That's awesome. But Jesus is saying, I'm talking about my relationship with the Father. I'm bringing you unto myself. I am the way to the Father. That's powerful. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one even can come to the Father. That was a powerful statement. One time Jesus actually said, no one knows the Father. No one knows the Father. What about Moses? What about David? What about all these great leaders right now? No one knows the Father but the Son. There's no other way into this relationship with the Father except through the Son. Now this absolutely, I, I, I get it, and I, and I believe it, and Jesus said it, that there's no other way to a relationship with the Father but through me, but sometimes it's been minimized. It is only, if you want to go to heaven, there's only one way to get to heaven, and that's through Jesus. That's true, but Jesus has so much more for people than just fire insurance for us than just fire insurance and just you don't have to go to hell you go to heaven and that's the whole reason I came that is not the whole reason he came so we could live in a mansion somewhere the reason he came is Papa said I want them for myself in my family they think they're so alienated and estranged from me that they could never have relationship with me but I want them in my house Jesus says, I'll go and I'll get them and I'll bring them into your house, Papa, so they can get in on my relationship with you. <laughs> in your notes, Jesus is our way into his relationship with Papa. That's the good news. Jesus is our way into his relationship with his Papa. You know, it's the good news is not that we have a personal relationship with Papa, but that we've been brought into Jesus' relationship with Papa. Mm, that's good stuff right there. I know we've said that over and over, and I'll probably keep saying it over and over. 
The gospel is not just that we have a personal relationship. If that's the gospel, I'll mess it up. If my eyes are on how well I'm doing in my relationship with the Father, then my eyes are on me. How many of you do really well when your eyes are on you? <laughs> me neither. Huh? Every time I do it, and I still do it. Every time I do it, I get my eyes off of Jesus and get my eyes back on myself. Then I start this whole cycle of introspection and how well am I doing and am I measuring up? And then the Holy Spirit reminds me, no, Brent, get your eyes back on Jesus. He is the one who has brought you into not just your personal relationship with the Father, but his own relationship. Now, I don't know anybody that I've ever heard that explains this better. One of my favorite theologians that I love reading is uh, C. Baxter Kruger. I love Baxter Kruger. And uh, he's like a cross, he, he is a theologian. I mean, the guy's uh, super brilliant, right? But it's like sitting down at Cracker Barrel when you talk to him, when you listen to him. Well, I actually almost had him here for men's retreat, guys. We'll keep trying, all right? But he, it's like listening to someone at Cracker Barrel from the South talking to you, telling you stories. When you listen to him talk and explain the depth of what God has brought to us in our relationship with Jesus. So rather than me retell his story, I thought it would be good. So we're going to have video, Ethan, if you've got it unmuted already. We're going uh, to have Baxter Kruger tell us a story to help us understand how Jesus has brought us into his relationship with his papa. Let's check this out. So, do we have anyone at the soundboard? His father with great delight. Um, but anyway, he uh, was six or seven at the time, and I was sitting in the den at our house on Saturday afternoon, sorting through junk mail, getting ready to watch a football game. And around the corner, he he peered around the corner, six or seven years old. Uh, face paint, camouflage, plastic knives, guns, you know, the whole nine yards. And one of his buddies was with him. And the next thing I know, there's two camouflage blurs that just come flying through the air and hit me. And we start horsing around and laughing. And we ended up on the floor in a pile of laughter. And right in the middle of that, I felt the Lord saying, Baxter, pay attention. This, there's something huge happening here that's very important. And I, I'm just you know, scratching my head thinking, my dad, his son, horsing around on the floor Saturday afternoon. It's got to be going on all over the planet. What's the big deal? And little by little, it began to dawn on me that I, I didn't even really know this other little boy. And if you replay the story and you take my son out for a moment, and he's back in the back of the house, and this other little boy walks in the den, camouflaged the same outfit. He looks at me. He's never seen me. I've never seen him. I didn't even know his name. He didn't know my name. Presumably, he would have thought I was Mr. Kruger. Uh, but the last thing he's going to do is come flying through the air and engage me in that kind of intimate, you know, play. But the fact was, my son was there, and he did know me. He knew that I loved him. He knew that I delighted. He knew that I liked him and that I wanted him. He knew my acceptance. And so, in the freedom of that knowledge of my acceptance and that knowledge of who he was and my love for him, he did the most natural thing in the world, which was to engage me. And the stunning miracle that happened that I saw was that I saw my son's freedom with me. My son's knowledge of my heart rub off on that other little boy. And he got to feel it and taste it and experience it with us. It wasn't his, but he got to share in it with us. 
He got to, it, it not only rubbed off on him, it was in him and he functioned from it. So to me, the Lord was saying, that's the gospel. The gospel is the news. And my son in the equation would be Jesus. The gospel is the news that we have a place in Jesus' relationship with his father. And in the spirit, he's sharing his own emotions, his own life, his own sense of his father's presence. He wants us to live in it. Now, religion would be when the boy suddenly gets a uh, whisper comes along and says, but you're really not a part. And so the boy steps over here and he starts thinking, how can I have a relationship with God like, like or how can I, to, to use the analogy, how can I have a relationship with Mr. Kruger like his son does? And he starts writing down things that he can do that looks like our relationship. The fact is he's included in it, but he's choosing to carve out his own relationship with me rather than to participate. Every religion starts out with that separation and then is going to prescribe things that you can do to have a relationship with God. When the New Testament is saying the stunning news is that Jesus has come to bring us and to receive us into his life. And that's who we are. And he wants us to participate, bear his fruit, fruit of his relationship with his father. And I think that's the simplest story. But man, is it huge in its implications. We back out and we insist on having our own path to God, our own relationship to God, the way we want it, the way we think it ought to work, the way we read the New Testament. And we're going to we're going to go at it that way. When the whole time we've been included in the son's relationship with his father. Oh, I love that. Isn't that good? I love it. I think this is one of the best examples to me that I've ever heard of what it is to be brought into Jesus' relationship with his Father. The same joy that he has, the same love that he has, the same acceptance that he feels. That's what we're in right now. I mean, we're not trying to get in it. We can if we want to. We can wear ourselves out trying to get in and trying to get him to like us and get him to love us. We can do that if we want and he'll let us do that. But the truth is, the truth is we're already in. We're included. We've been brought into that relationship that he has, that love, that joy, that peace, that grace, that all the beauty that is inside that relationship is what we're in. John chapter 12, verse 32, this is in your notes. Jesus says this about going to the cross. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. That word in Greek for draw is actually drag. <laughs> now it's not talking about like, you know, as you live your life, you know, Jesus is gonna drag you to the altar. It's telling us when he went to the cross, he said, I am bringing, I am bringing that old broken humanity into myself. Is that what he said, John 14? I will bring you to myself. You can write this in your notes. Well, I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. You can deny your inclusion, but as C.S. Lewis says, uh, hell is a door which is locked from the inside. That's, that's something to ponder a little bit, isn't it? Hell is a door which is locked from the inside. In other words, the, the Papa never sends anyone to hell. Hell is chosen. Are you with me? And actually that can begin now. Any time that we choose to, to not agree with what the New Testament proclaims to be true about us, that we're included in this beautiful relationship, then we can experience hell right now. And that hell can continue throughout eternity. We can, we can experience hell for eternity. But as C.S. Lewis says, and I agree with him, hell is locked from the inside. We can deny our inclusion, but it isn't going to change Jesus' mind. 
It isn't going to change God's mind about what the truth is and what Jesus came to accomplish and what he fully accomplished in bringing us in to this absolutely stunning relationship. I'll ask you some questions in your notes. Is Papa mad at Jesus? Oh, for those of you that love making sure the blanks are filled out, you can write right now in the blank above it, right now. Is Papa mad at Jesus? I mean, you can answer that. Is, is the Father mad at Jesus? So is Papa mad at us? Because we're in that relationship, right? Is Papa disappointed in Jesus? No. I mean, could there ever be a way in a time in, in any universe that Papa's disappointed in Jesus? No way. There's, there's no disappointment in that relationship. We've been brought into that, that kind of freedom of worrying about disappointing our Father. And well, is he disillusioned? Well, he never had any illusions about me to begin with, right? Is he disillusioned or disappointed with Jesus? How about this? Let's, let's flip it. Is Papa's heart thrilled with Jesus? Wow, what if we've been brought into that? What if that's what we've been brought into? I mean, really, that we've been brought into the thrilled heart of our Papa over his son and that the stunning news of the New Testament is that joy to the world, the Lord has come, let heaven and earth rejoice, peace, goodwill to all men. What if that's the good news? What if that's the gospel? That Papa's heart is thrilled with Jesus and Jesus brought us into that. Does Papa like Jesus? I like that question even more. I, for me, that, that cuts to the heart of it. It's like, does Papa love Jesus? Well, yes, and God loves the world. But sometimes we get kind of removed from that word, so I like to use the word like. Because uh, sometimes people will say, I have to love them, but I don't have to like them. That is such a bogus crock. Sorry. I guess I'm getting free in my last few months here. That, <laughs> That, that, is a, that is baloney, to use my Texas lingo, all right? <laughs> I have to love them, but I don't have to like them. That, what is that? Why, why, why are we divorcing like from love? Why are we doing that? Papa's love and like are linked together. He loves us. He likes us he, because he likes Jesus. And he loved you before he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus because we could not believe that. We could not believe that Jesus loved, our Father loved us like that. He's thrilled with us. He likes us. He likes Jesus. We've been brought into that kind of freedom in that relationship. We live from that place. Secondly, in your notes, he's not just the way, but Jesus is our truth. Specifically, he's our truth about Papa. Keep it in context, right? Keep in John 14 in context. Jesus is talking about, I'm bringing you to myself because you're going to be connected with the, with the Father, with my Papa, right? So he's saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to Papa but through me. So he's our truth about Papa. John 14 verse 9, he actually says in this same passage, to see me is to see the Father. Hebrews 1.3 says, the sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of Papa's true nature. When Hebrews used the word God here, he's speaking about Papa. That the sun is the revelation of, the exact expression 
of the true nature. Jesus is the mirror image of Papa. As I heard one preacher say, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. We haven't always known this, but because of Jesus, now we do. Now we know, oh, this is what God's like. This is what Papa's like. I love what uh, our Foursquare president, this is our current president of our denomination, made this statement the other day on social media. Jesus did not come to make God's love possible, but to make God's love visible. Oh, there's such goodness there in depth, isn't there? Say, well, this is just a simple message. It's a simple message that packs power, my friends. Sometimes the simplest stuff is the deepest stuff. Jesus did not come so that God would love us. He came to show us God does love us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God so liked us that he sent his son. John 1.14 says, talking about Jesus, the one and only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So he's the way, the truth, and the life. In this same book in John chapter 1, in the prologue, he's telling us about who the son is. And he says, if you want to know who he is, one of the things I'll tell you about him is Jesus is full of grace and truth. We probably won't make it all the way through our notes, and I don't want to rush this part as we get ready to wrap up this morning. But Jesus, when we talk about him being truth, and when John 14 is talking about him being truth, and when John 1 is talking about him being full of truth, Jesus is not the balancing of grace and truth. Once you hear that this morning, Jesus is not the balancing of grace and truth. Now, balance is not a bad word. It's a, it's a biblical word, and there are right uses for balance. Like, you want to have a, a, a good balance of work and leisure, right? You don't want to be all work, and you don't want to be all play. There are places that, that balance is good, and striking a balance in our life um, is a good thing. Saving money, hoarding money. We want to live a balanced life. We don't want to hoard money, but we do want to save money, right? So there's, there's a learning this place called balance. But there's places that balance does not apply. If I go to my wife and I say, you know what? I want to live a balanced life of fidelity and infidelity. Mostly fidelity. How would that fly, baby? I'm out, right? I'm out. I'm gone. <laughs> How do you know that that doesn't apply there? Fidelity and infidelity is not a place where you, you have balance. I just want to live a balanced life and only do some cocaine. Right? <laughs> I, I want to drink mostly clean water and only 1% sewage. Uh-huh. That's a really good example, right? Balance doesn't always fit everything. And this is an example of when balance is applied in a way it wasn't intended to be implied. In your notes, you can write this. Actually, truth is on the side of grace. Jesus is full of grace and truth. He is not saying Jesus was 50% grace and 50% truth. And when he needed to be gracious, he was gracious. But when he needed to be truthful, he was truthful. He kicked their teeth in when he needed to. And he pat their heads when he needed to. 
This is saying who he is as a person, is a person that is full 100% grace and 100% truth. All truth is on the side of grace. So what is he saying? Well, same book, John chapter one, verse 17, same chapter. Here is where he, he shows us, he juxtaposes against grace and truth, a thought, a concept, an idea. For the law, the law, everybody say the law. The law law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. All right, so he's actually juxtaposing two ideas here. The law comes through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. So one of the things we want to get out of the way right away when we're talking about truth in your notes is that truth does not equal law. Truth and law are not the same thing. They are juxtaposed in this, in this verse. They are, they are not the same thing. They don't mix. If you say, I want to live a balanced life because I'm really concerned, Pastor Brent, there's too much grace going on around here, greasy grace. And we need to balance that grace out with some law. If you mix grace and law, you get neither. You don't get real grace and you don't get real law. Neither one. They do not mix together. It's like oil and water. They don't mix together. They're not on the same side, right? That's, that's what this passage says. So we're not looking for a good balance of grace and law because when you mix them, you don't get grace and you don't get law. Say, so, well, wait a minute. Matthew chapter five, verse 17. Be careful there, pastor. And I, and I, Believe me, I do want to. It's very important to me that I handle Scripture rightly. Do not think, Jesus said, that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but what? So Jesus said, I didn't come to to destroy the law. I actually came to fulfill it. Verse 18, keep going. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away. Not one jot. This is the way I'm, I'm, I'm giving you my religious voice, right? Not one jot or one tittle will by any means pass away from the law. Wait, wait, wait. Let's read the rest. Till all is what? Oh, Jesus said, I haven't come to destroy law, but I've come to fulfill it. And none of it will pass away until it's been what? Who fulfilled it? Jesus fulfilled the law. That's what he's talking about. He says it right here in this passage, and I missed it for a long time in my life. Let me make it really clear in your notes. Jesus is the end of the law. Jesus is the end of the law. I did not say the end of the studying the Old Testament. I studied the Old Testament and find Jesus all over the Old Testament. But I am not trying to follow the 613 laws of the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled the law, right? So when I go back and look at the law, I'm looking at Jesus as the fulfillment and looking for him in the midst of what I'm studying. I'm not looking for a code of conduct. Well, we need to tell people not to kill people. Really? Wow. (laughs) How many think some little internal motivation from the Holy Spirit might be able to convince someone not good to murder? Right? This is the whole difference between grace and the law. Law, well, I'm going to say it in a second. I'm, hold on, hold on. Okay. Jesus is the end of the law. I've got to wrap this up. Hebrews 8, 13. 
by establishing this new covenant, the first, this is what the book of Hebrews says, which is written to people who he is trying to get to stop putting their eyes back on the law. They're not turning. The book of Hebrews is not about people who are turning to sin from Jesus. They're turning to law. And because of that, they're turning to sin. Are you with me? They're turning to law, and because they're turning to law, then they end up in sin. And the book of Hebrews is written to the Jewish people who are in great persecution, and they're tempted to go back under the law because of the persecution they're at. So he says this crazy statement. By establishing this new covenant, the first is now. What's the word he uses? And ready to expire and about to there's a season where, where the law and the gospel, they actually run at the same time. For, for about a 40-year period between Jesus' resurrection and when the temple is destroyed in 70 AD, the law is being practiced at the same time that the gospel is going forth. And the, 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 the Jewish people are in great amount of confusion. You see it in the early church. Do we circumcise? Do we not circumcise? We got to have a meeting about this, right? And there's a struggle going on. And the writer of Hebrews is, Hebrews is written before 70 AD. And he says, let me tell you something. That, this whole system is about to implode. The whole thing is about to disappear. I got to get your eyes off the law. I got to get your eyes on a person. Because the law was ever only intended to be a schoolmaster to bring you to a person. And once you're with the person, you don't need the external laws to make you do something. You got me on the inside. Written on your heart. Romans 6, 14. For sin shall not be master over you. That's right, pastor. We got to be preaching more on sin. All right, I'm with you. Let's do it right now. Sin will not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Oh, thank you, Paul. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for using Paul. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't want that for you guys. I don't want it for me. Jesus doesn't want for us to be destroyed by sin. So he made a way called grace. Grace is the freedom from law. Because in your notes, law is external, but grace is internal. Law is external, but grace is internal. In fact, here's the way I say it in your notes, and we'll wrap it with this. Grace is the truth that sets us free from sin. Grace is the truth that sets us free from sin. You mix law and grace, you get neither. Hey, if you want to go law, go all law. Do it. Go for it. I actually, dare, I dare you to do it. If you really want to go law, go for it all the way because I know what's going to happen. The law, you do not break God's laws. They break you. Go all law. Go for it because you will finally crash and burn and you'll fall at the feet of Jesus and he'll say, hey, I've had you all along. I've loved you all along. Welcome into the relationship that I provided for you all along. But what do we have to do? nothing that's the scary part actually and that's what got Paul in trouble and why he constantly had to write things like Romans 6 we don't have to do anything now we get to do oh and that changes everything now I get to love my wife 
Now, oh, she disappeared. It must have been that. Okay. I get to love my wife. Oh, I thought the rapture happened for a second. Oh, I got left behind. I get to love my wife. I get to. I get to love Tom. And I actually would like him anyways, right? Well, we have to love each other. I get to love Tom. He's easy to love. I get to love. I get to, I get to serve. I don't have to serve. I get to give. Giving, we better give 10%. We'd better give. No, I get to give. Everything shifts from external to internal when we realize that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Amen. Let's stand. That just feels good to talk about Jesus. You know what feels even better than talking about him? Talking with him. Talking with him. Dialoguing with him. Let's take a moment right now. First of all, you're here this morning, you've never said yes to the one who's already said yes. Like he told Paul, who was then Saul on the road to Damascus, why are you kicking against the goats? Why are you fighting against the truth? Why are you fighting against this relationship? Why are you fighting against what I've done? If you're here this morning and you've been fighting against, maybe running away from, raise your hand. Say, you know what? That's me. I want to surrender my life to Jesus today. This is a great day to do that. Great day to surrender your life to him. Anyone need to do that today? I don't want you to miss out on the opportunity. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. (laughs) Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's what I feel like after listening to the good news of the gospel, that you are the way into relationship with Papa. Let's take a moment and just wait. I want you to to listen. I I want you to ask Papa yourself, do you like me? I know you know in your head, but I want you to ask him, do you like me? And I just want you to listen for a second. Yeah. What did some of you hear? Yell it out. When you ask Papa, do you like me? What did you hear on the inside? love you more than you can measure. Someone heard yes. I think what? Say that one again. Oh, wow. Wow. Now, would any of you have thought of that out of your brain? Come on. Anybody else? What'd you hear? laughter, saw smiling in his eyes. His eyes were twinkling. Come on, you can live from that. You can live from, that's what you've been brought into, Patricia. He looks at you like he looks at Jesus. Not hiding behind Jesus' back either. Anyone else? Oh, isn't that good? He likes you today, right now. Sometimes you will meet someone that will say, yes, but he won't leave you there. That's true. But sometimes he just wants to tell you, I like you right now. What's he 
he saying now? Anybody else want to tell us what he said to you? It's good stuff, isn't it? That's what you've been brought into. That's what you and I have been brought into. That's a whole lot better than here's 14 steps on how you can go out and have a relationship with God like Jesus did. WWJD. We don't have to do that, right? He lives in us, he lives in us, and we live in him. Amen. So, Lord, all we can do this morning is just say thank you. <laughs> oh, there's so much freedom in you. Oh, so much freedom. Thank you for that freedom today. Thank you that you speak to us all this week. And thank you that we learn to live in that freedom. We learn to live in that freedom and manifest the life that you have for us to walk out and live our destinies that you have prepared in advance for us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, come on, let's give him praise in this house this morning.